1: Welcome back to another episode of the 23 Personnel Podcast. I'm your host, Spencer, joined, as always, by Michael.
2: Hello, everybody, and it's it's great to hear the gentle giant's voice welcome us in, native of Floyd Texas.
1: Talking about Tulsa time. That's right. It's time to get us to Tulsa.
2: So we're a number three seed. Yep. Did you hear about that in the news? I did. That's
1: pretty good. Number three is pretty good. <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty good. It'll it'll do. That'll eat, son. Um. So yeah, we're getting ready to to kick off the NCAA tournament. Texas Tech will face Northern Kentucky on Friday, twelve thirty Central.
2: A lot of work getting done here in Lubbock, Texas at twelve thirty. A lot of twelve thirty and three.
1: N- not a lot of work getting done next few weeks. Let's be honest, especially these first few days. We're like. Games are on 12 hours a day, back to back to back, multiple games going at the same time. you And ev- you can stream everything basically for free.
2: The good news is, too, is you can also stream it on just about any device, anywhere, if you need to mm-hmm. visit the restroom really quickly.
1: Just take the phone with you. Don't got to miss a thing. Mm-mm. Um, so, yeah, we will definitely be talking about the NCAA tournament. We've got a bracket here to quickly break down for you. I not really break it down, but we'll talk about it. Some of our picks, we'll talk about the end to the conference tournament, talk about the matchup with Northern Kentucky, we did have on a NKU graduate for an interview, we'll have that posted here when we get to the tournament preview section of the podcast, uh, I want to thank Rick Broering, Broering, Bro, see, I had him pronounce it for me, Broering. Yeah, you're right. Of Local 12 News, which sounds like an Anchorman affiliate, but... Up there in the tri-state Cincinnati area, covers NKU and Xavier for his day job. Uh, he graciously spent some time with us. We'll get to that in a little bit. We'll talk about some some football, some footy footy football. Um, baseball team returning from a trip down in Austin. Talk about how that went, how the rankings are a joke. I'm on your side, Keith. It's terrible. They're these ranking services are talking out of both sides of their mouth when they talk about giving Texas credit for a good win. Um, you know, Vers-
2: versus a good quote unquote
1: quality loss. Yeah. So anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. Basketball though. You want to start with the, the conference tournament or the NCAA tournament, Michael? Let's get the conference tournament out of the way. Let's, because that was a disappointment. Um, And we kind of set it up last time we spoke that your performance in the conference tournament was not really, had very little impact on your seeding or anything going forward for the NCAA tournament.
2: The only thing we thought that could happen is if Tech ended up winning the whole thing, could potentially push them to a number two seed. Mm -hmm. But... You know they may not have the name or the cachet or however you want to say that to for that to have even happened so well, we kind of landed about where we thought we would have uh, and and probably realistically where we would have even if tech had won the big 12 tournament
1: Maybe I mean I, I'm not exactly sure what what ranking determines your your seating. I think tech was 10th. They they were, they were either ninth or tenth in the in the rankings of the tournament teams. So you didn't have to go very far to move from a three seed to a two. You had to pass one team, right? Um, you didn't end up doing because you lost in the first round to West Virginia. Um, dangerous situation because you had nothing to play for really, and West Virginia did. Turns out they were playing for their invitation to the CBI tournament. With a fifty thousand dollar check too, because that's a pay to play tournament.
2: CBI is it? Is that not the abbreviation for cannabis? Or no? No, that's not okay.
1: No, that's not the tournament they're playing in. Oh, okay. I think it's called the. I think it's very basic, the College Basketball Invitational. But not only are they invited, but they are invited to pay for their place in the tournament.
2: (laughs) That's interesting.
1: Anyways, West Virginia. Talk uh,
2: about pay to play, y'all. Exactly, Bagman.
1: West Virginia takes down Texas Tech, seventy-nine to seventy-four. I was out of pocket during the game. Was in Carlsbad with some of the the Boy Scouts of my church on a camping trip. Keeping up with it a little bit on Slack, but Michael, can you talk us through a little bit what happened and explain what what happened with Emmett Matthews?
2: Yeah, um, it it was it was a lot of what didn't happen. Uh, for one, Tech just could not grab a rebound. There were so many.
1: Yeah, it, it looks like Tech was out rebounded forty-four to thirty. Which right, is a big difference.
2: And I think that was that discrepancy was even worse at half. I'd, I'd have to pull it up to see what it was, but
1: there were well, basically like it was a two-to-one advantage for Tech's Tech defensive rebounds over offensive rebounds. So any misses, you were you just weren't getting the ball. No, you weren't getting second chance shots. And I, I, I'm looking at your your. Your stats and our notes here.
2: Yeah, they. I mean, it seems like it, one, West Virginia came out on fire. Uh, They were shooting really well. Tech was not. um, Tech didn't even take the lead until the last, I think it was, two minutes of the game when Culver had his, just out of his mind, sequence where he blocked a three-point shot at the corner on the opposite end of the court. Blocked it in a way where he got the ball himself and then took it coast to coast for an and one layup and <laughs> nice. then that was how that was how tech took the lead uh but just a just a pretty poor showing out the gate for tech uh couldn't couldn't uh get anything going offensively defensively they were playing well uh West Virginia just they just refused to miss, refused mm-hmm. to miss shots. And on top of that, West Virginia had an all-time game from a freshman who up until that night was averaging four points a game, not even. I'm going to go ahead and go into the the decimals here. He was averaging 3.9 points per game, but he had 28 points against Tech that night with 10 for 14 shooting, including 2 for 4 from beyond the arc, 6 for 6 from the line, never missed a free throw, and even had 8 rebounds. So this, this guy was all over the place. Tech had no answer for him. They didn't know what was happening, why he was just destroying us. Uh, he had more points than Culver. Culver had a great game. 26 points, 10 boards. Uh, nice
1: little double-double there.
2: Yeah, yeah, and he scored his 1,000th career point during this game, but he didn't make it. A- There's no distance too far for the perfect trip.
1: <laughs> Hi, checking in for...
0: so I'm gonna tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Three all night, and his, his first half total was,
2: I can't remember what it was, but he really didn't start coming on until the second half. And Culver needed to be a little bit more present, I believe, but A lot of it they were just they were shutting him down. They they were playing good defense on him and when we'd find a guy with an open shot, they just weren't able to hit it. So as a team, you know, first half it it doesn't look so bad, but first half we were thirty eight point five percent from field goals or on field goals just total. Second half that went up to almost fifty two percent, so they really kicked it in but it just wasn't quite enough and you know I know this was kind of a a game that quote unquote didn't mean anything but no it was a game between two big 12 teams one of them was the 10th place team that you had swept for the year and then now they've they've kind of got this little little hitch in their giddy up after taking you down in the in the tournament just before the the big tourney starts
1: and they almost lost to OU the night before that uh three that wasn't right taking that game to overtime what a
2: heartbreaker on for yeah, the last second the
1: shot, three point that would have tied the game on the review shooter's foot was on the line yep lost by one lost by one um yeah so tech was d- down by as many as 17 in the first half yes um it's it's tough to come back against that kind of a, a deficit you, you came back um, you took the lead with two minutes ago. I think that's when I was really closely following it on the ESPN app, but just couldn't couldn't pull away far enough uh, to keep West Virginia from from winning that. You get bounced from the Big Twelve tournament. Um, Iowa State goes on to win and earn their automatic berth into the the tournament. Although they they, they would have been in there anyways. So there are three. Big 12 champions this year. I hate that they get get to claim that they're champions when they're conference tournament champions, but Right. In not, the eyes of like the, the NCAA, that's one of the ones, the bigger ones that counts, not the regular season champion, but They had a good four-game run and we had a good 18-game run.
2: Yeah, pretty solid. <laughs> pretty solid uh win total there with the old 14 and 4. That's not not anything to sneeze at.
0: Yeah.
1: it, it Like I said, it's it's not going to take away your, your, your conference tournament. Sorry, your conference championship. Your 2019 Big 12 champions, you're going to hang that banner, you're going to wear that ring. Um, you have pieces of the net cut down and distributed among fans, not fans, teams, teammates. Um, losing in this tournament, the Big 12 conference tournament, not how you wanted to, to roll into the NCAA tournament, but didn't, it's not going to hamper you. It didn't change your seed. Like we said earlier, you were already kind of a solid three pick. Uh, you could have moved up to a two if you had won the whole thing. Maybe, um, didn't happen. Right. Yep. So we're getting ready to face Northern Kentucky in Tulsa. Um, so I, I saw this come today and it was probably happened yesterday, the day before, <coughs> but, uh, Chris beard was on with Scott Van Pelt and there was something that really caught my attention was the, um, the learn and burn.
2: Right. Which I believe is referencing this West Virginia game that we just, we no, just it, talked about.
1: It definitely was. They were, I guess they went out as a team Saturday night before selection Sunday. And this may have been while they were still up in, um,
2: no, he said something about Lubbock.
1: Okay. So they, it,
2: I think it was in Lubbock because they, he they said they that he didn't back. want the Lubbock police or fire department to be upset with him.
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right. So they they traveled back from the, the big 12 tournament. Um, as a team had had a night out, "Went, went to the movies." They had, they had a uh, a stat sheet from the West Virginia game, took it out, burned it, and said, "Okay, we're we're gonna move past this game. It's it's done. We're moving forward."
2: Yeah, burned it in the parking lot.
1: Burned the stat sheet in the parking lot. So
2: not quite the same, not quite as catchy as "burn the boats," but "burn the stat sheets" pretty good. But I guess the, the learn and burn is where the that's where the catchphrase comes in.
1: Yep probably about as good as as the little miniature toilet that Josh young may or may not have in the in the dugout where he's able to to flush things after an error or a bad plate appearance or even like that so selection Sunday comes out happens your team is at four golf here in Lubbock they are placed as a three seed in the western um, region region that's what they call it Uh, which means you you get to play in Tulsa. You make a short trip up to Tulsa to to host the Northern Kentucky Norse, Um, a 3-14 matchup where, um, let's check the stats here, the notes, the three seed has historically won 93% of these games. (laughs) Well, the numbers this, are on our side. Numbers are on Tech's side. Um, the other thing, I just really quickly, I wanted to point out that I, I found really interesting or entertaining was um, that same kind of uh, stat for the 1 over 16, that the one seed has won 99% of those games. And it's like, you know Virginia has to be been feeling that. That's the one. <laughs> That's the 1%.
2: Yep. Um, <clears throat> they have to round down now. They do.
1: They, I can't. I can't say hundred percent because it's not there. Um, this three fourteen matchup, Texas Tech uh, in the Ken Palm, and both Ken Palm and BPI rankings are ninth in the country. Um, Northern Kentucky and Ken Palm is hundred. BPI is ninety. Um, adjusted offense for Texas Tech thirty six. Adjusted defense, as I think we're all pretty well pretty well aware of, is still number one. Uh, for Northern Kentucky, their offense is 77th, defense is 144th. So that those numbers sound pretty big from like a a football ranking perspective, um, but in, in basketball, 77 is not all that bad. It's not that much of a difference from you. Um, as 36, the defense, however, is 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 the other a different story. You Correct. are significantly better on defense than they are. Um, We'll get to it when we talk to to Rick here in a minute, but he he mentioned uh, a matchup. If you look back at Northern Kentucky's schedule where you can draw some similarities between one of their opponents in Texas Tech is with the game they played against Cincinnati. Um, And Rick says that Texas Tech is a much more talented version of what Cincinnati put on the court that night. And he said Northern Kentucky just did not belong that night.
2: Right, they, they did... Lose seventy eight to sixty five, um, and it sounds. For those of you who don't know, Northern Kentucky is located basically in a suburb. Excuse me, a suburb, just south of Cincinnati, and is barely in the state of Kentucky. But since it's south of the Ohio River, it is, and so this is not just playing your crosstown rival or your. You're playing a huge university that's maybe fifteen minutes away from you. And it's, I, I, he he kind of thought that that might have been part of what was in their head, of just you know kind of the the task at hand could have been part of it. But he did, and you'll hear him compliment Tech, you know that he feels like Tech is a much better version of of this team.
1: Yeah. So we'll, the Northern Kentucky Norse were are in the Horizon League. They what they secured their their berth in the NCAA tournament by winning their conference tournament. Um, the final game was against Wright State, who is participating in the NIT. Um, Wright State was pretty good. The the things to remember: Horizon Conference. Do you have any number, any idea about who plays in that conference with them?
2: I do not. I I looked up their record a little bit, but I I can't remember the other
1: teams. So Northern Kentucky went twenty six and eight this season. Their conference schedule included games against Cleveland State, Detroit Mercy. Green Bay, IUIPUI, Milwaukee, Oakland, UIC, Wright State, and Youngstown State. The only only school that sounds familiar is Youngstown State because of the offensive coordinator that's at Oklahoma State came from Youngstown State, Bill Yursich or whatever his name is, or it was. I don't know if he's still the same guy.
2: I don't think I realized that. They did... Not only did they win their conference tournament, though, they tied, much like Tech, they tied for first in the conference standings at the end of the year as well.
1: Yep. So if you're looking at at, at breaking down this game, um, there's a really neat tool on uh, sporting news, team rankings. I was using it to kind of look at some of the bracket matchups. Um, The decision tree based on data trends of any kind of significant data or stats, it's a 91 to nine advantage for Tech. Power ratings or scoring margins and strength of schedule has a 93 to seven advantage for Texas Tech. Similar games or results of similar past matchups, it's a 92 to eight. Simulation where the computer had (sighs) played these games out play by play, 97 to three advantage. And seed difference, this is a historical value between a 14 and a 3. Like I said earlier, it's a 93 to 7. So you've got a pretty significant advantage, as you would expect, a 3 over 14. Um, Rick will, will, will let us know all about that here in a second um, as we get to that part of it. the I think the line right now is 14.5 points for Texas Tech. I think I saw that somewhere. I think it, I think it was uh, Kyle. I saw that from his kind of season BPI wrap-up going into the tournament post today on Staking the Plains. Um, speaking of Staking the Plains, though, got lots of Northern Kentucky content on deck. Dan is doing a Q&A with producer of an ESPN radio station, Austin Elmore. Um we, we just spoke with Rick Broering, and there's somebody else that Dan's talking to as well that I'm, I'm blanking on that person's name. But we are doing, we have all the content. All, all the, of the content. All the NKU prep. Look
2: for it at stakingtheplanes.com.
1: <laughs> or on the 23 Personnel Podcast. Yes. But you're already here. Um, so yeah, let's go ahead and, and and get to that, the preview with Rick Broering And we'll wrap up the basketball tournament game one preview. All right, so we are joined by Rick Broering of Local 12 News up there in the Cincinnati area. He's going to help us break down the Northern Kentucky Norse as we get ready for NCAA tournament game between Texas Tech and Northern Kentucky. Rick, thanks for joining us tonight.
3: No problem. Appreciate you guys having me on.
1: Yeah, so I would say most Texas Tech fans probably had very little awareness of of who the – northern kentucky basketball team is even where they are what 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 conference they play in um can you give us a little bit of background and kind of an introduction to the northern kentucky norse
3: yeah well uh you know the team has just made the transition from division two to division one within the last six years. And um, their first year of being eligible for the NCAA tournament, they actually surprised everyone and won the horizon league tournament. That's the conference they play in. They, they start in the Atlantic sun for their first three years of division one, then move to the horizon league, um, Ended up surprising everybody, winning the Horizon League Championship that year, uh, made the NCAA tournament a few years ago before they were really ready for it when they were uh, young and, and kind of underdogs at the time in the league. Um, and then the last two years, they've been um, number one or number two in the conference, depending on how you want to view it, along with Wright State, who uh, who they beat in the conference championship game this year and is currently playing in the NIT. So um, they're. It's a team that has, you know, everything's happening really, really fast for the program right now because. When you make that type of jump in terms of your commitment to athletics, um, you don't necessarily expect to have success right away. And so to see these types of results and obviously they they struck gold by landing John Brannon and they got really, really fortunate with a local kid in Drew McDonald, who was the conference player of the year, decided to stay home and play at NKU. And that was actually before John Brannon even got the job. But then he stuck around once John Brannon got the job um, and it's all just really worked out well for him.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about John Brennan's story? I, I've, I've heard some things around just how, how quickly he's been able to bring success, and, and you just kind of touched on it a little bit, but can you tell us a little bit about uh, Coach Brandon?
3: Yeah, well, I think most people, if you recognize him or have heard of him before, it was when he was uh, next in line, you know, second to the head man, Anthony Grant, at Alabama. Um, and when Anthony Grant got fired um, that year, Alabama played in the NIT and and John Brandon was actually the interim coach for a game. Um, And then after that whole sort of regime split up, that was same time NKU was looking for a coach and John was available. And he actually, um, he was one of the finalists along with another guy people around here are familiar with, and maybe out there uh, Travis Steele, who ended up getting the Xavier job this past season uh, was one of the other finalists for that. And there were a few other names that were in the mix, Um, but he's, he was a guy that i think people kind of thought highly of coming in but i don't know that a lot of people had him on radar to be an up-and-coming head coach just yet and uh it certainly with what he's done over the past three years at nku he's opened eyes and and he's really going to be one of the hottest names on the market in the next year or two depending on what type of jobs open up
2: hey rick michael mcdonald here uh no relation to drew Unfortunately, I don't have that kind of skill, (laughs) but uh, I did just want to ask you a little bit more about Brandon. His, his resume is very impressive, especially with this being only his fourth season as a, as a head coach and uh, the Norse making it to two out of the three last NCAA tourneys would, uh, would you attribute Brandon's success to his scheme or his recruiting ability or possibly some other aspect of coaching?
3: All of the above. I mean, I don't think you can really be a great head coach without doing both, you know, recruiting and being a great X and O coach. Um, And then obviously you got to be able to motivate your guys as well. And I think he does all of those things. He uh, demands a lot out of his staff and his players. I think that's kind of one of the things he's known for. Um, defensively, he likes to get after it. He, he wants his guys to play fast. He wants them to pressure the ball. Um, they'll get out in passing lanes. They'll, they don't force a ton of turnovers, but they'll, they'll try to be opportunistic on the defensive end and, and use their defense for momentum and to kind of spark their offense. And then offensively, the, the thing he's really been able to implement. And, and part of it is the players he's had with like Drew McDonald, who's a super high IQ player and an excellent passer, kind of a point forward or point center, if you will. If they pass the ball in an elite level. I, I don't know what they are currently in Ken Palm, but at one point this season, they were fifth in the country in assist to field goal percentage, meaning um, you know over 58% of, of their shots at the time were coming on uh, assists. Um, so they move the ball really well. They have multiple shooters, and they just run great stuff on offense. They like to play with good pace. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean running in transition and getting layups but you know just within the half court even the stuff they're going to run they're going to cut hard they're going to pass you know make crisp passes and uh they they have guys that can score inside guys that can drive you and beat you off the bounce and guys that can shoot the three
1: so when you, when you talk about the offense can you give us a little taste of what that might look like you you, you were mentioning um being able to, to move the ball around may run up down the floor but not like that's not their 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 offensive game plan um What do you, how would you describe the, the Norse offensive movement and their, I don't know how to say it, (laughs) their, their, their objective when they have the ball.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of interesting because, you know, they do want to push the ball. I'm just saying not all the time. They're not a team that's like Auburn where they have to turn you over and play fast and get layups or they're going to be in trouble or they have to jack silly threes and make them or they're going to be in trouble. They'll they'll take advantage of those opportunities. But then if they play in the half court, they're fine with that. Um, What you'll see a lot of is Drew McDonald, player of the year, number 34. He's about 6'7", used to be a really heavy kid. He's really trimmed his body up and gotten himself into better shape. He's an excellent shooter from the outside. He passes the ball very well, so he's comfortable facing the basket and moving around on the court. But he's a low block scorer, and he has a a lot of great pivot moves. You know, Against uh, Texas Tech, you know, they're going to be a little bit longer, a little more athletic. He may have to space them a little more and face them up and, and play on the perimeter. That tends to be what he does against more high major opponents. Um, so that's the number one guy you look at. He averages 19 points and nine and a half rebounds a game. And, and then after that, Jalen Tate is kind of the guy to really watch if you're a Texas Tech fan, because he's the one that makes everything go. He's a six, five skinny kid Uh, played on the wing last year but they moved him to point guard this season and not only did he do an excellent job at point having about a, a two to one assist to turnover ratio and really doing a good job of just initiating their offense when they weren't exactly sure who was going to do that after losing levon holland last year who was a star player for them he has also upped the rest of his game i mean he went from being a lockdown defender last year who was okay it would give you a little something offensively to now he's a he's a star on the offensive end averaged 14 points a game and and really had it not been for kind of the style they play and playing through drew so much in the post he could have averaged a lot more so those are the two main guys to watch Uh, aside from that Tyler Sharp is actually their second leading scorer at just over 14 points per game he's a three-point shooter that plays with a lot of grit and toughness Um, in other words he's white but, but seriously, I mean, he's, he's a tough kid. he will get after you, kind of play with that bulldog mentality and try to draw some fouls. And then Dantes Walton is an, an experienced upperclassman, junior, who's just kind of a versatile guy. He got a little jump shot happy towards the middle of the season, um, but in the, or in the Horizon League tournament, he really got back to driving the ball, and that made a big difference for their offense because not only was he getting fouled or scoring at the rim, but he was also passing off of those drives and, drives and setting up some of NKU's other shooters, and, and that really helped their offense get going again. That can be
2: frustrating to see as a fan, just to be in a bit of a slump and know that, okay, all you've got to do is instead of just trying to take all these 17-footers or 12-footers or whatever – outside of the the lane just try to just try to make some contact cut to the lane try to drive to the lane and to to see a player recognize that and then have guys collapse on them and then kick it to an open man that's a, a very useful tool and that's something that you know tech will have to watch out for because our previous game against west virginia we really had trouble reacting and rotating to open shooters and even had trouble blocking out guys on rebounds Uh, so that could be something to to definitely look out for one one thing I wanted to bring up too is uh, talking about McDonald he's uh he he seems like the leader on the team Uh, senior played all four years I mean played meaningful minutes all four years as you mentioned averaging a practically double double for the year which is incredible what what does it mean to have a senior of this caliber leading your team into the tournament you know a guy that can when he will be double teamed, I'm sure at some point, he can kick it out to an open man. He's a great passer, as you've said. Uh, your your team's able to score a lot on assists. Uh, what does it mean to have this, this kind of guy uh, take this team on his shoulders into Tulsa? Uh,
3: this isn't hyperbole when I say it. Drew McDonald is the best player in NKU history. I mean, he's the leading scorer in NKU history. He's the leading rebounder in NKU history. Um, he's up there in a lot of other stats as well. And when you start looking at the other guys who could maybe challenge them, challenge him for that, that title, one, they don't quite have those stats. And two, they did it at the division two level while he's done at the division one level. So he is very literally the best player in school history. So it means a lot. Um, He is, he's really good. And not only that, he's a really good guy. He's just the type of personality you want in your locker room. He, he uh, is definitely an energy giver, not an energy sucker. Um, And and that's what you, you always want out of your upperclassmen. So um, they've got a tremendous culture in their locker room right now. It's not just drew. They've got Tyler sharp, Dantes, Walton, Jalen Tate, um, even a guy like Zanai Robinson, who transferred over from Norfolk State, and, and when you make that that graduate transfer move, you're looking obviously to finish off your career in in strong in a strong fashion. You want to be one of the guys, and he was you know relegated to the bench, wasn't their starting point guard early in the year. He got more minutes as kind of next in line, but then conference play went on and he wasn't playing as much and and didn't probably have as consistent of a role as he would have liked. Yet in the Horizon league tournament he steps back up he was a huge reason they they dominated right state in that horizon league finals because of the way he shot the ball um and so again j- just another guy who really understands his role is really bought in and, and has helped set this culture that that they have right now
1: so let's talk about the game a little bit i, I saw, saw you interacting with some fans some tech fans at that- we're not ready to accept some some realism when you were you're were trying to put it out there
3: That doesn't sound well, that I, doesn't I, sound like I, us I at all I think they were confused. I I don't think it's that they're not re- w- willing to accept. I just don't think they understand what was being said. I think Texas Tech is really good. I think they're a final four contender. And I don't think they understood that I was saying that.
2: Yeah, sometimes sometimes we can't see for the forest past the trees
3: or whatever the whatever the, <laughs> the Howard said, yeah. The, the saying, yeah. saying is. To, so to clarify real quick, basically what was said, and understand I'm tweeting this to a, a tri-state audience here in Cincinnati who is following NKU, and I was basically trying to comment on the matchup they got, and all I said was if you're a team like NKU, this was the matchup you wanted. It was either Texas Tech or Purdue. And and the reason being is Purdue's not very good. Um, and Texas Tech is really good, but they play a style that at least keeps you in the game. They're susceptible. It's the Virginia style. It's the reason Virginia got upset last year. When you play 60 possession games and you slow it down and you don't want to shoot a ton of threes, you give teams a chance to stay in the game with you. Now, that doesn't mean NKU has any chance of beating Texas Tech, but if everything goes right, the the personnel matchups that these two teams have – um it just works out the best for NKU in terms of the situations they could have had. When you're 14 playing a three, there are no good options. You're just looking for an option where you think, well, maybe if Jarrett Culver turns his ankle or picks up four fouls in the first five minutes of the game, there's a chance here.
1: So besides those two scenarios, how do you think or what do you think a an NKU upset would look like? What would it take for for the Norse to to, to jump over the, the Red Raiders and to advance past this first round.
3: Yeah, I mean, Jarrett Culver gets swept up in a natural disaster or arrested before the game starts. I think would be a good start. Um, I think he's a lottery pick. I mean, I think he's one of the best bucket getters in the country. Um, he's tough. He just, I, I love everything about his game. So I don't know how NKU is going to match up with him. The only thing that that's nice for NKU is you know we talked about Jalen Tate. There's another kid on the team, Trayvon Faulkner, who's a freshman both are high major athletes. Um, They're a little rough around the edges coming in as prospects, but in terms of their athleticism, they're right there. So defensively, they are top notch. Um, And those two can kind of give you someone that, look, they're not stopping Jarrett Culver, but neither is anyone else in the country. So at least you have like a high major athlete that you can sort of put on him and, and try to put some bodies in front of him. And along with the other guys, you know, it's not just Culver. So I think that's, that's where it, it kind of starts for NKU is you, you got to hope that defensively you're just putting bodies in front of people and, and making them shoot jumpers. And I get it. Texas Tech has a few guys capable of shooting jumpers, but they don't want to shoot a ton of them. They're not super aggressive. They're not super confident in that part of their game because it's not the way they play and the way they want to control possessions and slow it down. So um, and they also don't have a dominant post player that they're going to throw it inside to and play through on the block. They're going to try to drive you um, and be efficient on the offensive end. So I think I think that's sort of for NKU's purposes, personnel wise. They have really athletic wings that can guard you off the bounce. Um, they don't have a ton of size or length in the post. So obviously, like getting beat up on the offensive glass is a concern. But again, you're not going to throw it t- to Tyreek Owens and play through him in the post. So that's basically why I said I think it's a a um, a best case scenario in terms of matchups for NKU, um, while also recognizing that Texas Tech is really, really good.
2: Rick, I think as a level-headed Tech fan, I would agree with that. And that's actually my worry of this game. Uh, Tech's offense has the tendency to go cold at the worst possible time. And especially playing a defensive team, an athletic team, like uh, NKU in this case, I, I think that that type of scenario could happen I don't want to say it could easily happen and I don't want to (laughs) I don't want to predict that it it will but it is on the table and I I think that's something that tech will need to be wary of they'll need to be able to make sure they're taking smart shots and being careful with the ball and not turning it over when uh, you've got guys throwing arms into the passing lanes so I I think it's a it's going to be a good matchup Um, it sounds like it on paper you've had a very successful run these last three years, and including, you know, winning over twenty games, three years in a row, and and only losing eight this season. Two of those to tournament teams, UCF and Cincy. I, I mean, I, this is a this is a team that knows how to play basketball, and so I'm I'm anxious to see these two guys headed out on the court.
3: Yeah, you me- you mentioned the Cincinnati game. I will say, um, I think that's an important game to look at if you're a texas tech fan because i think texas tech is basically a much better version of cincinnati in terms of style of play and sort of how their personnel sets up um and since Nku had no chance against uc i mean i don't know if it was just sort of shock of playing one of the big high majors in their, you know in town kind of in the tri-state area and that was just a little bit too much for them and they just weren't ready for it or if Teams like that just make it really difficult because they make it tough to score inside, get the ball to where you want, you know, let McDonald go to work, let him sort of pick you apart. And uh, you're just relying on hitting threes. And if you're not hot, then you really have no chance. Um, Jalen Tate was hurt for that game. So, I mean, he played in it, but he didn't play at hundred percent and wasn't quite himself. So maybe that's a a little hope for the Norse. But again, I think if I'm a Texas tech fan, that's the game I kind of point to. And I say, uh, yeah, we're going to give them a lot of trouble because we're much better than UC is. And they had no prayer against UC. All
1: right. Well, Rick, I, we appreciate you joining us tonight, helping us get ready for the first round game in Tulsa Friday afternoon at 1230. Um, I want to thank you again for joining us tonight, Rick. Appreciate it.
3: No problem. I appreciate you guys having me on. All
1: righty. All right, we want to thank Rick again for joining us on the 23 Personnel Podcast, helping us get ready for the first-round matchup between Texas Tech and Northern Kentucky.
2: Yeah, uh, if you'd like to give Rick a follow while uh, while the tournament's going on, it's at Rick Broering, and that's spelled R-I-C-K, in case y'all didn't know how to spell Rick, I just wanted to be specific. But uh last name, B-R-O-E-R-I-N-G. So give him a follow and and uh be nice. Well be do, nice to
1: Rick. Do realize Rick he, knows what he's talking about. He lives and works in the Cincinnati suburban area, tri state area. His audience is fans of northern Kentucky, yes. Cincinnati, Xavier. So when, when he says stuff about the tournament or basketball or the game or whatever, realize that he's not talking to you, Texas Tech fans.
2: Right. It's not all about us, <laughs> believe it or not.
1: Unfortunately, no.
2: I can't believe I even, even Texas Monthly would rather write about Marfa than us. So it's not all about Lubbock. Y'all, y'all know that by now.
1: Hopefully. Um, so the winner of this game will go on to face the winner of the Arizona State St. John's play-in game, that will then play Buffalo. So we'll get the winner of that game, whether it's Buffalo or Arizona State, St. John's. Um, it would be really interesting if St. John's made it through somehow and Tariq Owens could play his former team. That would be something. Although they'd have to win two games to get there. Whereas Buffalo, I think, is one of those... What, what are that? What I hear them say? They're one of the most talented non-Power 5 or non-high major school in our side of the bracket. If,
2: if tech makes it past NKU and we assume Buffalo wins, that that's going to be, be a really a, interesting game this weekend.
1: It's going to be a tough game. And that would be on Sunday, I believe, right? I think so. There's usually a day between. So, um, you said you, you had one more thing you wanted to get to. I did. Before uh, we, well, in the,
2: in the learn and burn video that we brought up earlier, where beard was on, uh, SVP show, he mentioned to his team how just a few years ago he was the number 12 seed at Little Rock, upsetting mm-hmm. number five seed Purdue. And, and
1: so just, he's beaten Purdue twice in the tournament.
2: Right. He has. <laughs> and he has personal experience with this type of game and knows for a fact, having been on the other side in coaching in a game that took a number three seed or a number five seed to overtime, that. NKU can't be just assumed an automatic win. You've got to play basketball. You've still got to make your shots. You've still got to make smart decisions and play defense, which I feel like we're very capable of playing defense. Mm -hmm. But just like I mentioned talking with Rick, the cold spells that we've hit here and there on offense have me a little bit concerned, but I'm not, you know, I'm not calling for everyone to just get super, uh, super down and out or anything, but he does have personal experience being on the other side of an upset and and knows how uh, important that can be and how any team can just be beaten on any day. So I know that's something he's communicating with his players, and I'm glad he is. It's something worth mentioning, especially having just lost to the number 10 seed in a tournament where you were the number two
1: seed. Mm -hmm. As one of those things, like that's the great thing about this tournament is anybody – really can beat anybody Yep. on any, any given day. We saw last year that a 16 seed took down a number one seed. Um, and Rick touched on that. You know, had a lot to do with the Virginia style of play and Texas Tech has a similar style of play where they will deplete the shot clock and play defense in the half court. Um, but that limits possessions and if, if the other team is, is efficient when they have the ball and scoring when they have the chance that you get the, the opportunity for a 16-over-1 or maybe a 14-over-3.
2: Yeah, it puts a lot more pressure on you on the offensive side of the ball to...
1: Also be efficient.
2: Yeah, you feel like you've got to score every time now, and that's kind of to keep going back to the West Virginia game, which I hate to, sorry. That's just kind of what happened there. West Virginia would get a quick bucket, and Tech would work the clock for 22 seconds and come away with nothing, and it just kept happening over
1: and over. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So... I don't want to go game by game through my bracket because I'm not here to talk about how great my bracket is. Okay. But we're going to look at least at the Western region Okay. and see Tech's path to the Final Four because that's where I've got them going. Whoa. Spoiler alert. Get ready. All right, so Gonzaga, uh, as your number one seed, uh, easily moves past whoever it is that gets them in the play-in game. I, I don't even recognize... F. Dickinson and Prairie View, Prairie View A and M. Yeah, I, I I would assume that's the team. Um, Syracuse Baylor could be a really interesting game. That's the eight nine game. Those are always interesting. I love those games. Yeah, so they will.
2: OU Old Miss may be pretty good too.
1: VCU UCF, Taco Fall. Oh, <clears throat> that should be good. Excuse me. Sorry. Against the the havoc of VCU, although they're not really the same without Shaka Smart. Or such haven't a
2: been. such a large yeah. taco,
1: such a large man he is um so Syracuse Baylor that winner will get to face get to face Gonzaga Gonzaga um the interesting thing I've heard about this is that gonzaga Baylor or gonzaga Syracuse game because Baylor and Syracuse play such a similar style of game that it actually matches up really well with Gonzaga's weakness so if Gonzaga's going to get bounced it, it could be that first that second round game for them
2: that's an interesting theory so so they have trouble covering threes basically they're just kind of covering Actually, shooters on the outside sounds
1: like it. If, if you get Makai Mason going off for 30 points no kidding the Zags could be in trouble um Marquette and Murray State this is one of those 125 games that you need to be really careful of I think Murray State's way the, the 12th seed there um, from what I've heard, is is misleading to the talent they've got. I think two of the best point guards in the country going head to head in that game. So that could be really interesting to watch. Um, I've actually got Murray State making that that upset. Ooh, moving on. Um, Florida State, Vermont. I know nothing about Vermont. I I do know that Florida State beat Duke at one point this season. Um, so I I have confidence they will move from they will. Advance from their four thirteen game there. The Buffalo-Arizona State or St. John's game could be pretty good as you look forward to who Texas Tech may, may play next. Texas Tech, Northern Kentucky. Um, Nevada-Florida, a sneaky 7-10 game. Cause you, you get a lot of those 10 over 7s that you hear a lot about. If you look at their rankings, whether it's BPI or Ken Palm. In um, Ken Palm, actually, Florida, the 10... Ten seed is twenty-eight. Nevada, the seven seed is a twenty-five. So it's a really evenly matched game, according to Ken Palm. <coughs> BPI has them twenty-thirty. So even then, it's it's a really close game, no matter how you look at that one. Who do you, who are you picking in that one? I'm picking Florida to make the upset, the ten over okay. seven. All right. I, that,
2: I could see that too. I I hate to be a conferenceist, but. I think the SEC has some decent basketball in there. Yeah. They and might face a little bit more talent than Nevada.
1: And then Michigan, Montana. I, I've got Michigan moving through that one pretty simply, pretty easily. Alphabetically, so, that is correct. It is. So my second round, I've got Gonzaga-Baylor, Murray State, Florida State, Buffalo-Texas Tech, Florida-Michigan. I've got Gonzaga winning their game, making it through. Um Florida State even though Murray State just got off, off the upset ends their little run yep Texas Tech making it past Buffalo just because I'm a Homer I guess nah that sounds reasonable Michigan over Florida I think Michigan's got the number two defense in the country if I read that correctly like whether it's Ken Palm or whatever like the adjusted defense um, which makes the the sweet 16 game between Texas Tech and Michigan I know so I was about to say really interesting this is
2: gonna be like a 47 to 49 kind be. of outing
1: doesn't matter what michigan does though i've got texas tech moving through Ooh, again spoiler like i said i've got texas tech as a as a final four team going up against gonzaga um i just i've i've seen them struggle this year the zags and lose games to the gales of st mary's or whatever that team i don't know was. <laughs> I, it was a game that they should not have lost and it was bad um so I've got Texas Tech going to the Final Four to once again meet Duke. Unfortunately. And unfortunately that's where it ends. Probably where it's going to end. Or on my bracket, that's where I've got an ending. I think um, Duke will be focused and dialed in at this point in the season. You would hope so at the Final Four. Um, Cam Reddish, R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, who should be back in time for that game. Um, What do you mean?
2: He was he played like a monster in the tournament.
1: Oh, well, yeah, there you he's go. He's back. He's back.
2: Oh, is he back? I forgot. I think he averaged 26 points in the tournament. He was insane. At one point, he had more points in a half than the team they were playing. It was, it was some crazy stat. It was either more points or more rebounds. I, I forget what it was, but it was it was nuts. He's He's fully healed, and he is ready to make a run.
1: Okay, so the other final four participants, you may think I'm – I'm a little biased of my my regional bias here. So I've got Virginia making it through, even though they show that you can biff a one over sixteen. Um I have them defeating Oklahoma, defeating Kansas State, defeating Tennessee, and then in the final four, and I'll tell you who I've got them playing in the final four. Um I think Houston makes it out of the Midwest.
2: No. I've got them losing early just out of principle and all the all the brackets i've filled out i have them losing to iowa state just just for spite just for spite
1: yep it, it it's definitely possible but it's or, hard to also ignore that they are
2: or i had them lose to kentucky
1: so that that iowa state houston game even though it's 3-6 again if you look at the ken palmer bpi as close as you can get um and bpi it's 13 versus 15 houston versus iowa state or bpi it's 15 versus 16
2: mm Okay.
1: So that round the second round game between Iowa State and Houston could be the closest ranked opponents out of any game in the whole tournament. But maybe because I don't like the cyclones and I'm 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 salty and sour about them right now. Oh
2: I'm fine. I I agree. I I just think I, I just got tired of hearing how great Houston was this year. Um I'm a little bitter about the coverage of that.
1: Yeah. Sorry, the so the seven ten on this side of the bracket, the Wofford Seton Hall, nowhere near as close as the seven ten Nevada Florida. Uh, These rankings are seventeen versus fifty two or nineteen versus fifty five. So this is not a seven ten. I think you're gonna you can confidently pick the upset here. I I think Wofford makes it through, and then they have that ridiculous um, end of the season. there was something that, that Kyle said about their the last month of their season, whatever, however they, they trended it out. And they, they had one of the highest performance ratings for the last month or whatever. It was ridiculous. They're trending in the right direction. Anyways, I've got them beating Seton Hall, uh, facing Kentucky but losing to Kentucky. And then Houston, Kentucky. I probably should have Kentucky moving through that one. as a 2-3. But... Just because I've got Houston beating Kentucky. If because there's such there...
2: a thing as a Kentucky off-year, we're kind of in it.
1: Yeah. Um, opposite side of that, I've got Auburn and North Carolina, then North Carolina facing Houston, and somehow Houston hanging on to beat the Tar Heels to make it to the Final Four.
2: So does Houston get past Virginia? Virginia. No. Okay. So Virginia Duke is who you've got playing for the for the ship.
1: Shocker, two number one seeds. That's another reason why I didn't pick North Carolina. I was like, I can't pick like three number one seeds and then Texas Tech to make it the final four. That feels a little too too homer. Um, Michigan State could be a really good matchup with with Duke. That's a 2-1 seed, but I think Duke makes it through that. Um, I could see... I've also got Tennessee playing Virginia in the Elite Eight on the south side which is also another 1-2 game. So it's like one of those things like my elite eight games was a 1-2, 1-3, 1-2, (laughs) 1-3. Like a three seed is as low as as it's going to get the final four, probably not. We'll probably have some kind of weird upset somewhere to get like a four, five in there somewhere.
2: Well, I'm... Maybe not a five. I'm pretty much with you as far as who I had coming out of the East and the West. And I know it's... We'll, we'll get into this a little bit more as to what we expect versus what we're kind of hopeful for or what would be quote-unquote disappointing, but I do have Texas Tech coming out of the West as well, be, e? beating Gonzaga and then losing to Duke because I don't know who's going to beat Duke. But I don't either. With a full throttle Zion Williamson who dominated that tournament, I'm... He's back with a vengeance. I'm not sure. I'm not sure who's going to beat Duke, and that's not a knock on Tech. I, that's... That's just how I feel like they would stack up against any of the other 63 teams that would that are going to make this bracket. I think Duke would come out on top for sure.
1: Yep. So um, if you haven't already or, and are interested, you don't have a lot of time left, but Staking the Plains does have a bracket challenge. Um, head over to Tuesday's Morning Stake to get the link to join the Taking the planes bracket challenge.
2: Um I believe it's through CBS sports.
1: Yep. Go head to head with all the staff because I'm sure we'll be filling out brackets here pretty soon. Um see how much more you know about basketball than Dan. <laughs> Dan knows quite a bit. He he knows a lot more than, than any of us. Just spoiler alert on that one.
2: All right. Um Dan and Labar will actually be in Tulsa for these games too, so I'm jealous. Shenanigans. Shenanigans may be
1: forthcoming. (laughs) Uh, Also, if you are planning on going, you definitely need to be following Jeff Haxton on Twitter. As he is a Tulsa, longtime Tulsa resident, he's got the hookup for food and spot recommendations.
2: I've, I've been trying to retweet all of the ones that I see come across my feed because, you know, food recommendations speak to me. Well, this is a
1: food podcast with a little sport sprinkled in.
2: Yeah, so give Jeff a follow at Jeff Haxton.
1: G-E-O-F-F.
2: Yep, H-A-X-T-O-N.
1: All right, let's talk about a little bit of football before we get to baseball. To wrap this thing up, you, you, not you, Michael, but you, Texas Tech fans, um, stop me if you've heard this before. Texas Tech has student athletes football student athletes suspended in the spring are they names you've heard well let's see daly on ward oh uh, joe wallace oh demarcus fields oh cory Fulter. that's the one you're like well i know he's a teammate like he's right. on the team right um he didn't participate last season because he was redshirting, but was a pretty big part of his recruit- recruiting class the year before um It does not say in the articles what the incident was. It's quote internal reasons. Yep. But Don Williams was able to get Wells on record saying that they could be back soon. They could be back later. They could be back never. So it's one of those things where there's some information, but really you don't know what the incident was. You don't know what rules, team rules they broke, what they have to do to make it back to the team. Just know currently they're not practicing with the team and they are they ha- possibly have the chance to rejoin the team but they are not currently participating in spring well, football.
2: Williams did mention this as well and I I don't know if it's comforting or not but it it sounds kind of like it could be asked if the disciplinary action stemmed from the four players being involved in one incident or an accumulation of issues Wells said the latter was more accurate. Quote, they're all unrelated but they're related in the fact that they're not doing the things we want them to do and they're not practicing right now.
1: So that would eliminate like a bashes type right. of incident last season where we saw, Oh, what's his name? Quan shorts, jet Duffy. jet Duffy.
2: Yeah. It, it would eliminate something <clears throat> to that extent of being arrested or at least being, and that would have leaked out by now. Anyway, I'm yeah. hoping it's something more along the lines of what we'll probably talk about next is they just kind of outlined in this new video, the Saddle Up documentary that the Texas Tech TV broadcast folks are putting on. Great production value. I mean, really, really great. And it just debuted this week on Texas Tech TV. I think you could watch it live uh, Monday night if you were a subscriber, but then you could watch it for free the next day. Anyway, it's about a twelve minute video, and I think they're going to have several of these throughout the the, the spring season. But it's fantastic. It mentioned discipline a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, players talking about it. Bowman talking about it. Uh, Seth Collins, I believe, was talking about it. Mm-hmm. Of course, and, and there was
1: Wells himself. S- I was going to say several quotes from Wells saying that we will not lower our standards. We Correct. are we are coaching we are coaching to a big 12 conference championship and we're not going to lower our standards.
2: And, and one of the things that Bowman mentioned was just the little things, you know, disciplining the little things and
1: like being late to a meal or being late right. to a meeting, being that, on time was, which was a big issue. Sounds like like even as a freshman, like he only had the one year of experience that was not maybe high in the list of what's expected from a Kingsbury coached team.
2: Right. And I believe it was Collins talking about, uh, on, on the discipline side of things, even not touching a cone or, uh, making sure you're not off sides. Mm-hmm. There are stuff like, just stuff that you would think would be minor, but probably adds up to a lot. But I'm not saying that that's what happened. That's, that's what these guys got in trouble for. But it, it could have been these types of rules that maybe habitually were being broken and, um, you know, well saw fit to take some action, especially with them being three starters potentially mm-hmm. uh, out of the out of that group of four. I'm not sure where Fulcher would land on the depth chart exactly, but
1: he wasn't in my depth chart. But oh, okay. Maybe because he wasn't already practicing, so
2: yet. he wasn't in the official 23 personnel depth chart, but.
1: That may have been why Dalian Ward was not in my
2: depth chart either.
1: <laughs> just throwing that out there. You just knew my, my oversight two weeks ago may have been right.
2: You knew there may have been some off the field issues that had to be addressed first. <laughs> but I, you know, I don't want to make too much light of it. I, but I do hope that it is something minor, quote unquote minor. Hope so. And mm-hmm. that it's some some team rules and lessons are going to be learned, and everybody will move on, and these guys will trot out there in September.
1: Yep. Um, So we briefly kind of touched on the saddle up video. If you haven't watched it yet, seek it out. Um, Very well done. Uh, I haven't seen any hard knocks, but Seth was saying it's a hard knocks type of production where you get like behind the scenes look at spring practice. Um, Yeah, I haven't watched a hard knocks in years, but that's it's. It's pretty close. If, this if is not I like, like an HBO production where they they selected Texas Tech and were somehow doomed. This was a, uh, a Texas Tech internal project, but very well done. Um, really interesting to get that kind of peek into the program and see how Wells is this communicating w- with the team and the expectations there. Um, the other thing I want to mention is there is an open scrimmage on Friday evening. Um, That's right. Free baseball first pitch weather dependent um, my friend that officiates in the American Athletic Conference will be on hand to help officiate the scrimmage so there will be live plays and a uh, 11 on 11 action and not just uh, you know seven on seven or just an open practice that we saw with we are like what are we watching <laughs> like we're watching them do like position drills. No, this will be a a scrimmage uh, open Friday night, and then you can head over to the baseball game, pick up game two of Texas Tech versus Michigan, get you a burger, nachos, hot dog, all kinds of good stuff. Um, unfortunately, our T-ball schedule has us booked tonight through Saturday. So your, your cubbies, my, my cubbies, my 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 uh, lifelong Cubs fan fandom is being realized as I am. Now supporting a T-ball team of said Cubs. You even got your hat. I do. I have a nice little blue, royal blue hat with a a red C on it. It's dirty already. Got number 95 stitched into the side here for Grayson. Oh, that's cool. That's his number this year because he's a big fan of cars, and Lightning McQueen is number 95.
2: Well, that's as good a reason as any to be. Oh, he
1: does not move like Lightning McQueen does. (laughs) He is the most awkward runner I'd probably ever see. Um, so baseball, we just kind of t- touch on, they have a weekend series coming up, uh, two series kind of Michigan right. coming in Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Michigan and Stetson will play Saturday and then Texas Tech and Stetson will play Sunday, Monday. Stetson was a super regional team last year. Michigan is, uh, another power five team. That's trying to get on the right track. Um, but this weekend, you were down in Austin, against record crowds at Dish Falk Field. Yes, um, plural, plural. They set a an attendance record this weekend um, against little old Texas Tech. Yeah, well, I'll be two top ten teams. Tw- they s- said more than twenty two thousand fans were over the attended the games over the weekend.
2: Yeah, I think each each one averaged over 7,000. Yeah,
1: with the high water mark of the of Saturday being uh just about 8,000 fans.
2: That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people watching some baseball.
1: Yep. Um you dropped the series one games to two to Texas. Um you lost two one-run games and then beat them 3-0 on Saturday. Um, yeah, you outscored them. Total. Yeah, you outscored, you outscored them nine a, to eight. Nine to eight, which is kind of hard to swallow. You out hit them on the weekend, um, which is something because the Texas Tech pitching staff is is their strength. But whereas you out hit them, you weren't able to do anything once you got runners on base. You were on the weekend six for thirty batting with runners in scoring position, um, which is a runner on second or third. Um. I'm going to give a hat tip to Keith for helping us prepare for this. If you haven't listened to his Texas Weekend Review episode, uh, episode number 10 of the Dinger Derby podcast, check it out. Most of this, uh, help, he helped us fill in on this, our research, our prep for this sex segment.
2: Right. Part of part of my issue with, with prep on this, which is something I've discussed before, is Hulu Live does not have the Longhorn Network, so it's a mm-hmm. double-edged sword of I don't feel like I'm contributing to the burn orange empire, but also get to miss out on one three, a three game series or some some other things here and there. Yep.
1: So because I was out this weekend, I missed the Friday, Saturday games. I was home to watch the Sunday game Friday. We said you lost with four to three. Um, Erickson landing was your starting pitcher Friday night. He went a a full five innings, gave up only three hits, one run, no walks, no strikeouts. Um, but he was, like, supremely efficient. At the, the the beginning of his his outing, he retired the first twelve batters, so he was perfect through four, or at least he had no hitter through four. Um, and then in one stretch, uh, this was brought. I think Labar brought it up in the Slack chat, and Keith probably mentioned it on on his podcast as well. That he Landing had retired nine batters. On twenty four total pitches.
2: Oh, that's right, because Labar equated that efficiency to my fellow SPC Texan, Deshaun Corprou. Yeah. Who has an incredible
1: shooting efficiency. Incredible like, shooting percentage. Greater than fifty percent. Yeah, so that nine batters on twenty four pitches, that's less than three pitches per out. <coughs> that's efficient. Yes. Um, less than three? Yep. Yep. And then you get to the sixth inning where it seems like you've struggled all year. That like that transition from really good starting pitching performance to either leaving a guy in too long or just that transition from starter to the first reliever. Uh, the sixth inning kind of eats you up. Friday night you had a I don't know if it was three if Longhorns got their three runs or all four in, in the sixth inning, but you had a fielder's choice single and a walk to load the bases. Um. And then Texas is basically like their power bat. Zubia came up single to right field. Uh, and then the throw home from Holt was high. So I think there was two runs scored on that play alone. There was an E9 given to Holt. And then the next batter came up, hit a screaming line ball, line drive to to Josh Young at third, but it got under his glove and out into left. They scored three runs. Um, sorry, three runs in the sixth that, that hit to to Josh Young got under his glove into left field to score another run. Um, And then, you know, Keith points this out that Texas Tech was held um, hitless for the rest of the game after the fifth inning. Yep. So you had no hits after the fifth inning. The bright spot is Micah Dallas came in, pitched two in the third innings. No hits, no runs, no walks, three Ks. That's Just an outstanding performance by a a freshman on the road. Um, You just had that one, that little hiccup area right around the beginning of the sixth inning where you just couldn't get through it. Texas, Texas was able to get their runs in. Saturday, though, you bounce back with probably the pitching performance of the season. You have a combined one hitter. Yeah. Caleb Killian goes seven full innings, which is his season high so far. And it maybe he may have tied his career high. Um, he gave up the one hit. I think it was in the fifth inning. I think I can't read. He, he, he had the, the perfect or the not perfect, but the no hitter intact for a good part of his outing. Uh, zero r- runs, obviously, cause you win the game three zero gave up two walks, but had four strikeouts. Only one runner, one Texas runner got to second base. Or further, like you up kept, until the ninth. Up until the ninth, when Clayton Beater kind of had his issues, but until the ninth, no Texas runner got to second base or further.
2: That's some good baseball. It is. That's some good pitching, and this is a team that at the beginning of the year, pitching was, I was very concerned, but everybody's kind of dialed a quickly, in a little bit. Yeah,
1: like i well, will say quickly, you're almost twenty games into the season, but at this point, maybe a third of the way through. Yeah. You seem to be feeling really confident if you get the kind of performances you got this weekend on the road against Texas. If you can get that kind going forward, man. Yeah, I, You're going to be a force. I, I know the rest it, of the conference, but...
2: Right. And I know it doesn't directly correlate, but only allowing eight runs in a three-game series against a Big 12 opponent, especially a top 10 one, when you were... On the road. Right. When you were averaging eight runs per game on some of these... You know, mm-hmm. against Oregon and against some of these other teams, you were people were flying around the bases, and and that's really dialed in, especially uh, in Austin this weekend. So that's that's a promising side of it.
1: Yeah. So when I said that Tech Tech combined for no hitter, or sorry, one hitter, Clayton Beater came in after Killian pitched the final two innings, gave up zero hits, zero runs, three walks, which we'll talk about, but he also had four Ks. So his six outs that he recorded, four of them were strikeouts. Um,
2: wasn't he throwing? Was it was he was it him he, that
1: was throwing ninety eight? He and Kurt Wilson were, were both throwing ninety eight. Um, because Kendall Rogers was was there from D one baseball. He added Clayton, Clayton Beater to the to D one baseball's heat sheet. Um, just the guys that throw ridiculously hard and fast. Um. Because like we said, he was hit, he was touching ninety eight on the radar. That's just that's it's that's nasty moving. stuff. That's booking. Um, you as an offense were able to to get five walks off the UT starter. Um, and I, I don't remember the exact number, but the entire weekend, like the a majority of your runs came from guys that got on base via the walk. Um, you were you were able, you were able to just. Get guys on re- the walk all weekend. Um, you had five on Saturday alone. Um, Gabe Holt had himself a little bit of a game, especially in the eighth inning, his performance there. He walked in the eighth. He advanced to second on a balk, stole third, and then scored on a, on a Brian Klein sack fly. So he went first to, th- like, basically around the bases for free. He was walked because of his plate discipline. Um, I didn't see the balk. I don't know if it was, if he induced it, um, like on a pickoff attempt or what. Um, Then he stole third on his own, and he was in position to score when Brian Klein hit a fly ball to the outfield. Whereas if he had just walked and been at first base, that fly ball may not have even moved him over to second. But because of his speed, um, being able to manufacture small ball on his own. <laughs> he was on third base when that that pop fly was hit. He's 11 of 14 so far in the season on stolen bases. Um through this this weekend he has an 11 game hit streak going and his on-base streak is stretched out to 32 games, which is a career best for him. So 32 straight games going back into last season he's been on base safely. Um and that that uh the anxiety part of this game was the bottom of the ninth big time. So Clayton beater was, was, was working. Um, he walked the first batter, struck out the second batter, walked the third, struck out the fourth, walked the fifth. So he walked the bases loaded with two outs. Um, you're only up three zero. You've got the tying run on, on base already guy comes up swinging for a grand slam to walk it off and ends up flying out, to the outfield but really could have been bad had Clayton not uh not settled down there. I, I believe there was a mound visit there from, from Gardner and he was able to to induce that fly out but um the the lone hiccup from the, the, the mound this that game on Saturday was this uh walk K walk K walk sequence. That was
2: and we talked about it before we started recording but that was one of several very tense moments in this mm-hmm. series. Of well, this is this could be the ball game right here. This could swing the entire game, and there were. It was just such a closely played uh, series that w- when you have that type of momentum, that can just instantly change and, and swing. You know, you've got two good teams that are really battling it out, and this was one of those instances. I I, I remember we were taking or a little girl to visit my mom and we're driving in the car and so I, I was listening to this part and I, I could be quiet. I know it was right <laughs> As the uh luckily that fly was caught right as we were pulling into the driveway so I could I did the fist pump as I turned in and we got out of the car.
1: Yep. And Sunday the rubber match, you dropped it again four to three. Um Longhorns ended up using seven right handed pitchers that game. They were kinda of gassed through their their starting rotation. They didn't have much left um, but this was one of those games where it was just super frustrating to watch because you were able to get guys on base. You got eight of the nine leadoff batters to reach base safely in this game. You scored three runs off that. Gosh. You ended up leaving 12 guys on throughout the entire game. For the game, you were one for 15 with runners in scoring position. So you were able to get a guy on, whether it was a walk or a timely hit, but um, whether there was just some pressure there on, on you as a batter or the Texas pitchers were able to respond, um, did a pretty good job of, of limiting the damage. Um, you've got two of those runs on a Josh Young home run, his first of the season, which is odd to say 20 games into the end of the season. And also he's kind of playing a little gimpy, um, the other really interesting thing about that is that's the first home run that UT has given up to an opposing team at home this season.
2: Out of, I think there was even a, it was twenty something. No, there was more than that. The twenty something innings overall, I think, was the last time they'd given up a home run. You mean twenty games? No, <sighs> never mind. I, I'm don't
1: listen to me because twenty something innings is not even a full three game no. series. No, it's not. That doesn't help at all. Um, your starting pitcher on Sunday, uh, again, it was Mason Montgomery. He went a full five innings, gave up one hit, one run. Um, that one run was, <laughs> it was, I think his first batter. Sorry. The first batter in the sixth is when that hit came and that run ended up being charged back to him because it was a hit. But he'd already been pulled from the game when he scored. Um he he had given up five walks, but had four strikeouts. McMillan came in, pitched one, gave up two hits, two runs. the The one run that was charged Montgomery also came when McMillan was on the mound. One walk, two strikeouts. So when McMillan was on the mound, you gave up three runs. Um. Texas took the lead. It took a three one lead. Um.
2: Good old sixth inning.
1: In the sixth inning, like we said again. Um, one of those runs came on also on a a Fulford throwing error to third. He was trying to to catch a guy stealing third. Um, I don't know if it was a bad throw from Fulford or Josh Young wasn't there in time. The ball ends up in left field. The runner ends up scoring. Um, McMillan comes out uh, and then is replaced by Wilson. I'm blanking on his first name. Kurt. Kurt Wilson. Um, He was also throw the heat. He finished out the last three full innings of the game. Was uh, pushing 98 miles an hour as well. Um, was able to hold Texas there uh, at four, but sorry, no, the, there was one more run added in the eighth before Young's home run. Um, yeah, But goodness, you had a, a really close series. Um, not like a series loss in Austin is like a disaster for your season. It's early. It's your first conference series against a very talented, highly rated team and the Longhorns. You're paying the price for it in the rankings right now, which doesn't make any sense. Um, So you get, Texas gets the credit of beating Texas tech as a good team and then Texas Tech gets punished for losing one-run games on the road to a conference opponent in front of postseason-esque crowds. Um, you you drop between eight and eleven spots in the ranking. So it's one of those things where like, well, does Texas get credit for a good win, or are you punishing Texas Tech for losing games they should have won? It, it's really like you can't really have both. Right,
2: right, and it's, uh, for all of the reasons you mentioned, you have to be a little bit more even-handed with with these rankings. Uh, certain people obviously get love a little bit quicker than Texas Tech does, but that's just kind of the, the name of the game here. Uh, you figure that Texas Tech, having gone to three College World Series in the last half decade, would start to get the benefit of the doubt here and there, but... I guess we're not there yet.
1: Not yet. Okay. Um you guys did not disappoint when we reached out for questions today. Thanks, Michael, for sending out the
2: the call. Happy to do it. I'm happy I'm happy to send up the bat signal. The bat signal.
1: So mulehorn at the Slatons or Slatones. Tech could have a legit national championship run based on the names. Sorry, based on the teams in their bracket. What would stop that from happening in y'all's opinion? Um, as Rick says, a Jarrett Culver injury. Knock on wood. Not being able to get past uh, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, and Zion Williamson in the Final Four against Duke obviously would do that. Um, not matching up well with either Buffalo or Michigan. I mean you.
2: Yeah, Michigan's a, well, you know, you don't want to sneak past Buffalo either, but Michigan's a worrisome team. And having guys go cold, uh, just not being able to to buy a bucket, that's not what you want.
1: Yeah, one, it's really hard to project the NCAA tournament, but when you're looking at teams that Tech will have to play and win against, even to get to the Final Four, you're talking about Michigan, Florida, Nevada, Buffalo, Mm -hmm. Gonzaga Gonzaga Baylor Syracuse like any number of those teams like you could lose to any of them or all of you've, them you've
2: you've lost to Baylor yeah it's it can happen
1: um so it you have the talent to make a run to the elite eight or final four or beyond um you just need to be seeing the Texas Tech that we were seeing a few weeks ago yeah the Texas were,
2: Tech that played Kansas in Lubbock
1: mm-hmm um, breakfast burrito, Briggsy.
2: Oh, real quick, did you see Dan's reply to that?
1: No, but let's, let's look at it. Dan says, "Slow starts. We cannot get behind the beginning of games and expect to have a comeback. It's turning time, and every team will be playing with a sense of urgency." Yeah, you you can't get behind in an the turning and expect to
0: claw back. Right.
1: Especially if you get down seventeen like we did against West Virginia. It's it's not going to happen. And
2: that was even, I think, at some point that was some crazy seventeen-two run. We just. <sighs> It was, a, it was the drought of droughts.
1: I'm glad I didn't watch that game. That just sounds miserable. Dan goes on to say, we hopefully learned a lesson in the Big 12 tournament against West Virginia about this start games aggressive and strong.
2: And that was how, just like you said, how we, how Tech dominated those five or six games where they were clobbering people by 20-plus points.
1: I would love to see us clobber to like the Sweet 16. That
2: was, that was how it went. <laughs> I mean, you would, you'd be up by 9, 12, 13 at halftime, and that was that or or 26 or 27
1: 29 <laughs> or whatever it was 25 yeah. against Kansas
2: Yeah you'd be you'd be up by quite a bit at halftime so th- he's exactly right
1: mm-hmm. Breakfast breeder Briggsy says what makes a good dive bar Okay, okay. you have to, to give us the, the criteria here. I've
2: got some thoughts on this A good dive bar needs low ceilings and bad lighting I think if if we're if we're gonna really go for a dive bar, it needs low ceilings and bad lighting. It probably Do they need
1: some kind of like makeshift stage.
2: Yeah. That's <laughs> a great <laughs> Yeah. A quote unquote stage where where the uh they set up the band on the weekend. Uh I think a good dive bar also needs to have expanded a few times and kind of shoddily. Like like it's not this is not gonna be at the end of a of a shopping center that was built in 2012. This is a standalone Let's just let's just say names. This is a standalone um you know Lone Star Oyster Bar kind of thing or uh oh gosh, I'm completely uh the Texas Cafe aka The Spoon even though I don't know why it has two names, but something like that that's just kind of been built on. They've just kind of added some well let's let's expand this direction and you can tell obviously that it's a little different in this room than it was in the other. Uh, Bash Rip Rocks is a lot that way. Uh, I'm not going to say that's a good dive bar, but I think that's kind of where you start, just the the feel of the place. You kind of got to feel like you're a little bit closed in. And that's uh, that's that's one place and then I think uh cheap beer, of course. And then they've got to have at least a few solid food items preferably fried because at one point this dive bar and it still may be was a smoking place Mm -hmm. at at one point it allowed smoking and whether probably still smell it whether it still does or not (laughs) you you can still smell it so those are kind of you know there's got to be a little hint of smoke and bad lighting and low ceilings and random expansions
1: yeah i i would not disagree that's i don't know that's kind of what i came up with um, Harrison Hill at Harry TTU Law. Um, the dude's getting ready for a trip to Anaheim. He's got plane tickets booked to Anaheim, Orange County, Hotel in Anaheim. Um, I think that's a ticket stub for Session 2 in Anaheim. Eyes on our first berth in the Final Four in person. Got his guns up. Great things to come for Texas men's basketball and coach Chris Beard. Man, guns up, Harrison. Enjoy like the trip.
2: I like it. I like it. Um,
1: Dan asks, "What would be considered falling short of expectations for the Tech basketball program and how far they make it in March Madness?" I don't think they have to make it to Final Four to um to meet expectations. I would say Sweet Sixteen I'm, is kind of the expectation. An Elite Eight would be um. Gravy? Anything past that, really. We, I know, like, you really can't be pointing back to last season. Like, well, that team went to the Elite Eight and you lost all of them, but you have spent the entire season proving that you reloaded after losing Justin Gray, Keenan Evans, Zach Smith, Zaire Smith. um, All those guys with Jarrett Culver, Matt Mooney, Tariq Owens, Noren Sodiase having a bigger role, Davide Moretti. Brandon Francis, Deshaun room. Um so I would say if you don't make it to the Sweet Sixteen, probably something happened. Um, whether you got upset, you had a bad, bad night, or an unforeseen injury, knock on wood again.
2: Or like Rick brought up a lot of foul trouble out of nowhere. Mm hmm. Dariq mm-hmm. gets three fouls before halftime or
1: well he's done that before,
2: but he has, but somehow he's
1: he's been able to like calm it down the second half. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I, I'm with you. I think Sweet Sixteen's kind of the cutoff for me. The you know, you assume that you're gonna win a game against uh northern Kentucky and I I that's that's kinda where I start to look at well, obviously that would be disappointing if we lost to northern Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I would be disappointed if we lost to Buffalo, assuming that they come out of that game.
0: And I that would point you're in the Sweet Sixteen.
2: Right. And then you're likely facing Michigan. And you, if if you tell yourself, okay, well, one Michigan was the number two seed, as you brought up before, they have a great defense. If you lost to Michigan, would you be super disappointed? That you know, maybe maybe how you lost or something like that. If if you put up a good showing against Michigan and lost, I I feel like we could say, okay, well, that's that wouldn't be called falling short. But I'm with you. All that to say. Get to the Sweet 16, I think, is kind of what everyone is expecting. Anything beyond that's great. Anything less than that, I think, would be disappointing because that means you'd be mm-hmm. your your season would end losing to Buffalo more than likely, which doesn't sound like a great way to end a
1: basketball season. No. Uh, he finishes out saying, "May experts have differing opinions on how far Tech should go this year." Ron Shipley at eighty nine underscore red underscore Raiders agrees and says not making the sweet 16 would be a disappointment.
2: Yeah I think most of us are kind of in that in that place, especially looking at exactly who's in the bracket and who our potential round of 32 opponent would be.
1: Quick check that looks like to be all of our questions. thanks for yeah for thanks s- guys sending those in. Um, going yard update. let's see do I have one um, The grass looks great does it's coming in it really I, looks nice i need to get some fertilizer down um i was actually thinking about mowing it monday because of the schedule it looks like you might need to it's it's, it's growing. getting there it's growing again but i also mowed it a lot shorter than i know i will this season this first time i mowed it so while it may look a little ragged and in need of a mowing it's still shorter than i would probably keep it long term um looks like we're out of the woods in terms of freezes at least for the time being (laughs) right we've got some some likely to change rain on the radar coming up this weekend
2: yeah i actually looked at the the forecast and
1: friday it looks like it's coming friday
2: right but i think i was more interested in seeing if any of the baseball games would get canceled but i don't think they will i think once you get out of friday looks to be pretty good baseball weather Mm -hmm. so that that'll be nice to hopefully not have any of the michigan or stetson games canceled if if you guys are heading up to the law.
1: The law. Um, so, for those on this cool season turf path with me, it's time to put down some fertilizer. Warm season, your uh, Bermuda, still a little too soon. It may be coming out and having some green color to it, not from a dye applied by a lawn service.
2: Um, My Bermuda's still dead.
1: It's not dead, it's dormant.
2: It's dormant.
1: But like I said last week, once you start seeing a little bit of green, go ahead and cut it as low as you can with your mower. Encourage that growth. Because any time that you you cut top growth on grass, its response is to to protect itself by strengthening its roots. That's what you want. Good root system.
2: Well, I did, I did water my lawn this weekend.
1: And you should probably start getting a little more regular with that. The warm season grass probably still a little too soon um, because like it really checks out once it you know it dips in the 30s you still got a couple days on the forecast in the 30s um, low 40s in terms of overnight lows so you don't want to push it too hard and then have it go dormant again but maybe start to water once or twice a week or once like a real heavy watering once a week um, I'm going to go ahead and Start bumping my watering schedule up and see if we can get some some nice domination going. You've got to. You've got to. You've
2: got to show, got to show off to the neighbors. This will be the first time you've had the, the lawn in place in spring.
1: Yeah, so it, it helped out last fall when their Bermuda... I, I got you saying it. <laughs> when the Bermuda uh, was going dormant while the grass was still green. So I got that little bit of my grass is green. Yours is yellow. And it's been that way basically all all winter. Um, I've only got another couple of weeks before theirs starts to perk back up. But enjoying it. We're we're trying to figure out how we're gonna to fill in our uh, our front flower bed area. We got gifted a couple of rose bushes that we're gonna plant, um, and then we got to put some other flowers up there.
2: Rose bushes. We have some of those some perennials. The ones that you see all around town. The They will put out like crazy. It's just nuts. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh, and and also, I just just wanted to share this before. My mom has a very interesting way to pronounce Bermuda. Oh, yeah? Bermuda. Bermuda? Bermuda. (laughs) It's like there's no R, and there's a couple of U's in there. It's great. I never correct her. I just always, she has a, an interesting way of pronouncing several words, and I don't know what it is or why. She'll add a syllable here or there, but mm-hmm. um, probably as we go on, I'll reveal a few more, but Bermuda is uh, the kind of grass that she has. <laughs> I have Bermuda, but she has Bermuda. It's a different breed. Apparently. I I'm surprised you haven't heard of that one as mm-hmm. much as you know about grass.
1: That's, that's a new uh, new species to me. <laughs> All right, so what did you learn this week, Michael?
2: I learned that Lubbock has a new brewing company. And actually, I'd, I've known it for a while. It's Two Docks Brewing Company.
1: You've got a link to it
2: here. Yeah, yeah, which is uh, it's just east of the Louise Hopkins Center. So if you ever... Luca? Yep, it's just east of Luca.
1: Oh, it makes you put your birthday in going to the website. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, they want to make sure you're not a miner. So if you ever go to First Friday Art Trail... Which is, of course, every first Friday. Um what? You can just venture over to Two Docs after you've been at the Luca for a little while and finish your evening, have some
1: have some beers there. But Okay, so check out the names of some of these beers. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Buddy Hoppy IPA. Yeah, that's pretty. Two Docs Bach, Prairie Dog Porter, and End of the Street Wheat. And they had,
2: they probably, those are just the ones on their website. They had probably double that at least. And the the two beers that my wife and I had, Allison had the steampunk ale, which was an amber ale, and I had the Red Dirt Red, which is <laughs> of which was of course a red. Great names. I mean, they've they've definitely have uh, used the influence of the area. Mm-hmm. I don't know much else about them. I really need to. I really need to reach out to them. Maybe I'll actually do some riding on staking the plains for the first time in months, and and maybe talk to them and get a little bit get a little bit more info but we just went after uh, after dinner one night to have a drink and just really enjoyed it it's got a neat atmosphere they usually have a food truck there Uh, the farm to forks gastro truck was there and had been there all day and uh, they've got a really neat outdoor area it was kind of chilly that day but it's going to be perfect for most days in lubbock to to go and hang out outside or hang out inside a little bit so when you're back in town, check out Two Docs Brewing. A uh, really neat setup. And they will uh, they make some good some good quality beers.
1: I did see that you are signed up to judge a barbecue cook-off.
2: That's right. Uh, yeah, I kind of forgot about that.
1: <laughs> I, I'm a little jealous, and I found out I'm, I'm busy that day, so I couldn't do it anyways. I so.
2: shot my shot.
1: I uh, did, and you got accepted.
2: You know, when... <laughs> Years, years <laughs> feels like it's been years. Weeks ago, I, I rebranded myself as an influencer on Twitter.
1: You are. The influencer has logged on.
2: And I completely uh, tried to influence my way into getting free Cotton Fest tickets, <laughs> which the Cotton Fest here in Lubbock is, it's a two-day concert, I believe, headlined by William Clark Green, a bunch of other great groups, and uh, they. Uh, I did not get taken up on my offer to... Uh, <laughs> to have free tickets just because I w- was calling myself an influencer. But fast forward to this past weekend where William Clark Green e- uh, tweeted to email this email address if you're interested in judging the barbecue cook-off. And, of course, I emailed that address quite quite soon <laughs> after seeing that tweet. Attached
1: and, uh, resume of yeah. barbecue cook-off competition. Right. I, judging experience? Yeah, I had a very
2: <laughs> serious post that I wrote uh, in the fall to to try to booster my cachet with the... I think I've used cachet twice in this podcast now to boost my standing with the Lubbock City Council. Chamber of Commerce. Chamber of Commerce, sorry. To get them to allow me to uh, judge the Hub City Barbecue Contest.
1: And how's that working out?
2: It's not working out well because the company I work for is not a member of the chamber. So therefore I think that disqualifies me immediately. So I had to move on.
1: I had to move on. Well, so I, I still may be, may be able to get you in. Okay. All right. Because we're members of the chamber. Could and I do they, some contract work for <laughs> we'll be, well, your why employer? Are you a contractor? <laughs> okay. Contract engineering work.
2: Sure. Uh, so anyway, long story short, I emailed the guy, he emailed me back and, uh, he said, it's like a six-hour commitment. Start at 10 a.m. that Saturday morning. It's the 4th of May. May the 4th be with you. That's right. It'll be May the 4th, and I will get to eat barbecue. As far as I know, it's BYOB, so I'll bring me a little something to little something sip to. on while I'm eating barbecue all day. And then I get to go to the concert for free that night. So you ended up getting
1: the tickets you wanted anyway.
3: I did,
2: because Flatland Calorie, uh will. I think there's five... There's five bands playing that night And uh, Flatland Cavalry will open for William Clark Green And uh, you've heard me talk about Flatland on the show And they're one of my favorite bands Around right now so I'm, I'm super excited to see them I haven't got to see them live And I haven't seen William Clark Green live Since he was just starting At Blue Light oh Gosh eight years ago or something I have a, fr- a friend of mine who Knew him from I think he's from College Station knew him from uh, back there going to high school and stuff. And so we went to watch him play and then now he's really taken off since then. And so it's been a long time since I've seen him play anyway. I am very excited about the concert, the free ticket, free barbecue. And we'll, uh, I will update as to how that goes on our following podcast that week. I'm sure.
1: Well, we'll all be waiting on bated breath for your review of the, Cotton Fest barbecue cook-off, judging, competition, how everything worked out. You bet. All right, as we get ready to head up to Tulsa, take on the Northern Kentucky Norse, listen to a little more Don Williams. Um, Again, want to thank Rick Broering for joining us to to preview the Norse. Uh, For Michael, I'm Spencer. Thanks for joining us again on the 23 Personal Podcast.